Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. So here's the question I have. And I've had this question for a while. It's not something really that came about just because of this series, but it's just a question I've had. And that is, why do we have to have faith to believe in God? Why can't we just know? Why does it have to be a question mark? I mean, I don't have to have faith to believe that I'm married. I don't walk into the house at the end of the day and go, all right, if I just believe hard enough, if I just believe, if I just have faith, I'm going to be married, right? We don't do that. We don't walk into work on Monday morning or whenever it is you walk into work and, think to you and start thinking to yourself, all right, this is the day. I'm going to have faith. I work here. I'm going to believe it. I work here. We don't do that. In every other area of our life, we get it. We don't need faith for it. We just walk in and there it is. So why is it that one in one of the most important, and for, for many of us, the most important areas of our life we have to have faith to believe. I mean, if God really is that important, then why aren't we sure? And when you look around and you think about how diverse we are, in this room, just in this room, our different backgrounds, the different ways that we've been raised, our different educations, uh, our different jobs, the, the different cultures that we were raised in, as diverse a group of people as we are, there is one thing that we all share in common. And that is whether you're a Christian or not, at some point in your life, you have struggled with the idea of whether or not there is a God. Is there a God? So, we're in this series. Who needs God anyway? There's some people who would say, I do, but oftentimes we don't live like it, right? There's others who would say, I don't. But there is something in us that makes it difficult to dismiss the idea of God. So this morning, what I want to do, what I want all of us to do, is to, to start a conversation today. And if you are a Christian and you're here with us, this might seem a little bit weird. So I want you to hang in with me. Because this series is not specifically directed towards you. If you're a Christian and you've been around, you have faith in God, you have no problem with that, this series isn't for you. And I want to thank you from the very beginning for being patient as we take the next six weeks to talk to specifically people who are either losing faith in God or who have lost faith in God, who are thinking about stepping away or who've already done that. And so maybe if you are a Christian and you're here today, this may not directly affect you, but I will bet you that there is someone that you know, maybe someone in your family, one of your friends, that getting this insight might help you in talking to them. So, who needs God anyway? In the United States today, people are walking away from religion at a faster pace than they ever have before. Not just religion, but specifically Christianity. In fact, many people will tell you that the problems that we face today 
are not being helped by religion, but they're actually being caused by religion. That religion is the problem. And so people are walking away from religion, and consequently, they're also walking away from God. One of my favorite movies was a movie that came out in the 80s. It might have been the 90s. I hope it's the 90s. It came out a long time ago, and it was called Major League. And it was about the Cleveland Indians hiring this group of has-beens and rejects to, to play for their team for a season. Now, there are two characters there. One of them was a pitcher, and he was the stereotypical TV movie Christian. You know, judgmental, angry, sarcastic. The other guy was a guy who practiced voodoo. So one day, they're on a plane, and they're heading to a game, an away game, and the plane is flying through a storm. And there's thunder, and there's lightning, and rain, and the plane is going up and down, and the lights in, in the plane are turning on and off, and everybody thinks that they're going to die. And the, the, the Christian, he looks over at his friend, you know, the voodoo guy, and he is in his seat praying. And the Christian leans over, and he says, he's not fooled. Because there's something about us, even if you don't believe in God, there is something inside us that wants there to be more. Even if we're absolutely sure that there is no God. And so for many people, the real question, the real question isn't who needs God anyway. The real question is really who needs religion anyway. Because more people are walking away from religion than ever before. And it's not just because of atheism. It's not that atheism has suddenly become attractive to people and they're running towards it. But what has happened is, is that Christianity has become so unattractive to people that they're letting go of it. An interesting thing happened right after 9-11 in this country, there was a spark of religious fervor. People went to churches and synagogues across the country in record numbers. I was living in Central Florida at the time, and I remember that Saturday uh, morning that uh, I went to church, and the place was packed. There were people I hadn't seen in a long time. There were people who I had never seen. I just heard about. Everybody was there on that weekend. It was bigger than Easter. It was bigger than Christmas. The next weekend... The church was packed. Same thing. Tons of people were coming. And all across the country, people thought that this could possibly be the spark that would ignite a, a, a movement back into church. They thought that this was the wake-up call that people finally needed so that they would know that they need God. But then an interesting thing happened. On that third weekend after 9-11, the church attendance levels went back exactly to where they were the week before 9-11. And it wasn't just at our church. It was at churches all across the country. Now, shortly after the World Trade Center was destroyed, there was a philosopher and, and neuroscientist, and his name was Sam Harris. And he began writing a book called The End of Faith, Religion, Terror, and the Future of Reason. Now, this book was a scathing critique of religion. 
not just Christianity, but all religion. Sam Harris shopped this book around to 12 different publishers, and they all said no. I mean, who's going to want to publish a book that criticizes Christianity so close after 9-11? He ended up finding a publisher. And when it was finally put out there, The End of Faith spent 33 weeks in the New York Times bestseller list. Two years later, in response to all of the letters that he was getting from pissed-off Christians who read this book and were really angry at him, he published another book. It was called Letter to a Christian Nation, which got all the way to number seven on the New York Times bestseller list. That same year, Richard Dawkins published his groundbreaking famous book, The God Delusion. In the preface of the book, Richard Dawkins tells us exactly why he published this book, why he wrote it, and what he wanted to accomplish with it. This is what he said. He said, if this book works as I intend, religious readers who open it will be atheists when they put it down. That was his purpose. And over 3 million Americans bought that book. And today, it has now been translated into over 35 different languages. The following year, Christopher Hitchens released his best-selling book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. And only three weeks after it was released, it went to number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And this is what he wrote. The new atheists gave voice to what a significant percentage of the population was already thinking. We don't need God. In fact, religion is the problem. Now, the faces and the voices of these new atheists turned them into rock stars. They started touring college campuses and were doing lectures all across the country. They went to all of the late night talk shows. And while Christian apologists stood in line to try to debate them, people across the country stood in line to listen to them speak and to buy their books. But the thing is, even though they sold millions of books and millions of people had heard them, there really was a, only a very small percentage of people who had actually read any of their books. The thing was, was that there was a significant number of people who were affected by the books. And millions of people who were already leaning that way made the decision to step away from religion and quickly began becoming a part of the fast-growing group of people that today we call the nuns. Now, I'm not talking about the nuns with the hat nuns. I'm talking about nuns, N-O-N-E, nuns. And the word nuns actually comes to us because it came about from those applications or um, uh, surveys that you take where they ask you what your religion is. It looks something like this, right? And it says, what's your religion? And it says Christian and has them all listed down. And at the very bottom, it says none. That's what this group of people is. They're called the nuns. 23% of the population in the United States today identify as nuns. 35% of millennials identify as nuns. Typically, they are politically left-leaning, white, 
non-immigrant, and a majority of the nuns are former Christians. A majority of the nuns are former Christians. Now, even though this group includes atheists and agnostics, most of them still believe in God. But theologically, they are agnostic and apathetic, meaning they don't know and they don't care. And so the nuns, they are characterized by this attitude. They are not hostile toward, but they're not affiliated with. See, they don't have any anger towards it. They're not hostile towards religion, but they are not affiliated with any of them. They have come to a place where they're tired of institutional religion. They don't have all the answers. They haven't figured everything out. In fact, many of them don't even know what the right questions are. But the one thing that they know for sure is, is that religion and the God that they were taught when they were growing up has lost its appeal. Now, I can't tell you, I can't speak for all religions, but I can tell you that the nuns who stepped away from Christianity here in the United States, the millions of people, the millions of millennials who grew up in the church, who grew up hearing the things that I heard when I was growing up, who went to church every weekend and sat in little classes in the morning, who who heard all of the stories, who know all about the six days of creation and and went to seminars on Revelation. and, And all of these people, these nuns, they ended up stepping away from the Christian faith. And, and, And while I can't speak for all religions, I can tell you this with confidence. The nuns who stepped away from Christianity did so because of the church. It's the church's fault. It's the fault of people who do what I do. That is the reason why they have stepped away. And the reason that I say this is because when you open up the four Gospels, when you open up the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books in Scripture that talk about the life of Jesus, that talk about who he was, they talk about his teachings. And when you see Jesus' interactions with people, there is something that you just can't miss. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. They liked him. They they liked Jesus the person, Jesus the guy. He was like the dude. He was like, hey, bro, that was their guy. It wasn't just miracle worker Jesus. It wasn't just profound teachings Jesus. But it was Jesus the person. And there was something compelling about him and attractive about him that made people who were nothing like him, like him. And when you read about Jesus, the the great thing is, is that you see that Jesus liked them too. And that's how it's supposed to be. The church is supposed to be the body of Jesus. And yet most of the people around us today don't like the church. So somewhere... We drop the ball. And if Christianity is not compelling, if Christianity is so easy to step away from, then maybe it's because we have the wrong version of it. And the thing that convinces me of that is is that I hear a lot of stories about people who have become de-Christianed. I went to a Christian high school. We were on a campus where we were trapped in 
and you couldn't escape. 24 hours a day, you were surrounded by Christians. And I loved it. But in a Christian high school, you went to chapel every morning. You had Bible class every single day. You went to church on every weekend. And if you look at my high school graduation class today, what you would see is that there is a very, very small percentage of them who 10 years after high school graduation were still Christians. Some studies put it at 10%. 10%. 10% of young people who make it to a place where they are no longer forced to go to church are the only ones that are staying in church. That means 90% of the kids who were raised as Christian, when they no longer have to be a Christian, they stop being a Christian. And as I've listened to many of these stories, as I've talked to people, friends of mine, who tell me about why they're no longer a Christian. When, when I read these blog posts, or there's a couple of uh, groups on Facebook that I follow, of people who are leaving Christianity or who have left Christianity, there's one thing that I have seen and that I have heard, and that is that none of the reasons that people have for no longer being a Christian are valid reasons for no longer following Jesus. The reasons that they have for not being a Christian have nothing to do with Jesus. And if you heard them talk about the reasons they left, if you heard them talk about the experiences they had and what they think Christianity is, you wouldn't want to be a part of it either. And so they are stepping away because what they have been taught no longer seems relevant to the life that they live today. So in this series, I want to address that. I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm just trying to make sure that you have the right information so that you can make an informed decision. And See, there's some of you here today who have lost faith in God. There's some of you today who are thinking about Stepping away because you're losing faith in God. There are some of you who have never had in your life a time when you had total trust and faith in God. And for every one of us, there is someone in our life who has been there and been in that position. And if you're going to do that, and again, I'm not trying to convince you either way, but if you're going to do that, I want to make sure that you know exactly what it is that you are stepping away from and what you are stepping towards. Because whenever you step away from something, you're always stepping towards something else. See, people who walk away from God naturally walk towards atheism. Because if you don't believe in God, then you believe that there must be no God. And you have to remember that you never walk away from something without walking towards something. And you should always have a good reason for walking away from something. So if you're going to resist following Jesus, then I want to make sure that you're actually resisting the real thing. See, many people walk away from Christianity because when you read Scripture, Christianity can lead to some very uncomfortable conclusions. But I want to make sure that you leave here today remembering, understanding that uncomfortable is not a truth test. 
Just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean that it's not true. When my teenage daughter was about to go out on her first date with a guy that I did not know, it was very uncomfortable, but it was very true. And then when she went out on that date with me and my wife and 20 of our best friends, she was the one who was very uncomfortable, but it was still true. Just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean that it's not true. Atheism is not just a disbelief in God. The new atheist would tell you that this is what atheism is. Atheism is a complex belief system that logically leads to some uncomfortable conclusions. Now, that's not strange because Christianity is also a complex belief system that logically leads to uncomfortable conclusions. And many people who choose atheism know more about what they're leaving than what they are joining. And it's not that they have come to a place where they're embracing being an atheist. It's more that they're just letting go of religion. And what ends up happening for too many people is that when they let go of religion, that they find themselves adrift. And they don't really have anything that they believe that they are anchored to. So what does it mean to be an atheist? If you're going to be, make the decision that you're stepping away from God and you're stepping into this realm of believing that there is no God, then what does that mean? What does it mean to be an atheist? Now, there are a lot of people who are much smarter than I am, who have been much more educated than I have, who can come up here and debate me on Christianity versus atheism and I would lose every single time. I'm not trying to convince you. But what I do want to make sure of is that you are informed. So today we're going to take a look at six tenets of atheism. Six conclusions that you have to agree with if you decide that there is no God. And again, my goal today is not to convince you that atheism is wrong. I just want to make sure that you understand what it means to be an atheist. Because remember, you can't step away from something without stepping towards something else. And so if you have stepped away from God, or if you're thinking of stepping away from God, or if you're hesitant to step towards God, then you should know what it is that you're leaning towards or where it is that you are today. So the six conclusions that you must make if you are an atheist. Number one, if you're an atheist, then you have to believe that you are not you. You are not you. There is no you. If there is no God, then there is no you. See, you're not really you. Your, your mind, your thoughts, this whole idea that you are a separate person is actually an illusion. Because all you really are, all, all of us really are, if there is no God, all we are is chemistry shaped by biology and controlled by physics. Right? Because that's what we are. That, that's what you have to believe if there is no God. There is not a you. You don't have a mind and a body. You are a body. That's all you are. Your kids, they're just bodies. Your spouse, just a body. We are all just biology. Now, it may be true that that's all we are. It may not be. 
But it is one of the uncomfortable conclusions that you have to accept if you decide that you don't need God. The second one is this. You don't really get to choose. You don't really get to choose. You did not decide to come here today. You didn't get to choose. You're not really making decisions. See, what you do and all of the things that you do are actually a result of physics. If you believe that there is no God, then the idea of free will does not, in fact, the idea of free will cannot exist. Because all of that is decided already by biology. The neurons go this way, the neurons go that way. You're hungry, you want to know, am I going to get a burger at In-N-Out or at Five Guys? You don't really make that decision. The neurons are either going this way or they're going that way. Now, you have the illusion that you're making a choice. But listen, if you believe that there is no God, then you have to believe that everything is controlled by the laws of physics. So all your choices and all of their results are already predetermined. The hard part of that is this. If that's true, then that means that no one is responsible for the decisions that they make. And no one can be held accountable for the results of their decisions. Can you imagine trying to live life that way? When we're not accountable to anybody or to anything? Stephen Hawkins, who was a theoretical physicist, and he suffered from ALS, and he just recently passed away. Even though he couldn't talk, he, he was still one of the greatest minds of our time. And he was a person who believed in this, this whole idea. And, and, and it's called predeterminism. And, 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 and it says that there's really no choices, that everything is already predetermined by physics. So even him, he jokingly said this. He said, I have noticed that even people who claim that everything is predestined and that we can do nothing to change it, look before they cross the road. Now, again, I'm not going to argue whether it's true or not, but it's almost impossible to live as if you were just biology. I mean, if you try to do that, if you tried to live like there is no God and all that you are doing is controlled by biology, then one day you as biology would run into other biology who would take you and put you into a jail cell with other biology. Because you can't live that way. The third one is this. Nothing is worth anything. Nothing is worth anything. If you don't believe in God, then you have to believe that there is no such thing as inherent or intrinsic value. Because in a world that is governed by physics, there is no such thing as inherent value. Because everything is just a random assortment of molecules. And if everything is a random assortment of molecules, then nothing has value. If everyone is a random assortment of molecules, then no one has value. Now, it, you, you might have heard people who talk about their truth. They'll say things like, um, I have my truth and you have your truth. And as long as I have my truth and you leave me alone, you can have your truth and I'll, and, and I'll leave you alone. Right? That's what they'll say. And, and that might work. And that might work great. But that can't work for justice. Right? We can't say, look, I have, just, I have my idea of justice, 
and you have your idea of justice. And so as long as whatever you think is justice, you do and leave me alone, then I'll do whatever I think is justice, and then you got to leave me alone. Can you imagine living in a world like that? It just doesn't work. Because in a world that is only about chemistry and physics, just, the idea of something being just, is just what we want it to be. Just is just what we want it to be. That means I get to decide what is right. You get to decide what is right. There is no anchor that we have that determines whether or not something is right because it's really all up to what we decide. And can you imagine that kind of life, that society that we would live in where everyone gets to determine what they think is right and wrong? That some people can decide stealing is right and there's nothing that we can do about it because that's their sense of justice. Now, some people will listen to this and they'll say, wait a second, I don't believe in God, but I don't believe in any of those things. None of those things make sense to me. I don't believe that. Well, if you don't believe in God, but you don't believe in those things, then you're not an atheist. Or at least you're not a very good one. But I'm willing to bet that what it actually is is that the God that you grew up with was not the real God. The fourth one is this. And these next three are, are, are really more traditional, long-standing long principles of atheism. The fourth one is this. Something came from nothing. Something came from nothing. In other words, time, space, matter, all had a beginning point. Some people refer to it as the Big Bang. And at that moment of the Big Bang, all of a sudden, time existed. But before it, time didn't exist. All of a sudden, after the Big Bang, space existed. But before it, there was no space. That matter existed afterwards, but matter did not exist before. That something came out of nothing. Richard Dawkins wrote this. He said, cosmology is waiting on its, Dar- Ri- cosmology is waiting on its Darwin. And what he's trying to say is, is that, listen, we have an explanation of everything that happened after there was something. Right? They have an explanation for it. There was a big bang, and this happened, and natural selection, and all of a sudden, here we are, and we're sitting in church. But what they don't have an explanation for is what happened before that. They don't have an explanation for how nothing became something. They don't have an explanation for how so much something came out of nothing. Number five is this, first life emerged from no life. Or we could say that uh, with no help, first life emerged from no life with no help. It's a, it's a process that scientists call biopoesis, which is the process of non-life becoming life. Now, when you talk to the scientists, they will tell you that the odds of that happening The odds of something as inanimate as a rock suddenly becoming alive, while it is not statistically, while it is statistically improbable, it's not impossible. But when they tell you the percentage chance of it ever happening, it looks more like impossible than it does improbable. Because original life, the very first life cell that they trace back was not simple life. It was not. Even that one molecule was not simple. 
And somehow we have to make the bridge between something that is as inanimate as a pebble, suddenly transforming itself into what the head of the Human Genome Project, Francis Collins, calls the digital elegance of DNA. The sixth one is this. Natural selection is responsible for all life after first life. Now, that's evolution, right? That's what the theory of evolution is, natural selection. Natural selection, though, doesn't tell us the origin of life. It tells us everything that happened after life was already there, but it doesn't tell us what happened before that. In The God Delusion, Richard Dawkins writes this. He says, think about it. On one planet, and possibly only one planet in the entire universe, molecules that would normally make nothing more complicated than a chunk of rock gather themselves together into chunks of rock-sized matter of such staggering complexity that they are capable of running, jumping, swimming, flying, seeing, hearing, capturing and eating other such animated chunks of complexity, capable in some cases of thinking and feeling and falling in love with yet other chunks of complex matter. He was trying to tell us something serious. And I read this and it's like a joke. Like he's making the argument for us. He concludes that paragraph by saying this. We now understand essentially how the trick is done. See, the whole idea of natural selection is remarkable. Natural selection, if you, if you listen to the process of nat natural selection, it really is a remarkable thing. Because when you read about it, natural selection is relentless but without a purpose. It is driven but without a driver. It is smart without a mind. It's absolutely amazing, but there is no one there to be amazed by it. Natural selection is something that we see the effects of, but we are never actually going to see it. Do you see the similarities here? If you ever listen to people talk about natural selection, if you ever listen to, to the people who passionately talk and write about it, and you hear how they explain it, you get this sense that they're talking about natural selection as if it's a person and not a scientific process. Imagine if it was relentless but with a purpose, that it was driven but with a driver, that it was smart and there was a mind behind the smartness. That it is absolutely amazing and has beings around it that are absolutely amazed by it. So, here's the thing. If you don't believe in God or if you're on the verge of giving up on God, I'm willing to bet that it's not because of any of those things. I'm willing to bet that if you have never taken that step to follow God, or if that you have decided that there really is no need for God in your life, it's not because of any of those six things that we have talked about. I'll bet you that it's much more personal than that. 
I'll bet you that it's not because atheism has suddenly become so appealing to you. It's that theism, or at least your form of theism, has lost its appeal. Right? People don't suddenly place their faith in atheism. They've just lost or are losing their faith in God. Or maybe you've compared what you were taught growing up, what you were taught about God growing up, with what science is telling you today, and it feels like what you were taught growing up couldn't even possibly be real. I mean, some of the stories, come on. The animals magically walking into the boat. The axe head magically floating on the water. Some of the stories are pretty far out there. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to do my best to convince you that the God that you lost faith in or the God that you are hesitant to place your faith in never really existed. That maybe, just maybe, all this time, the concept of who you thought God was, was wrong. And my purpose today was simply to let you see clearly what the alternative is. To let you see what it means if you're going to say, I'm ready to step away from God. To let you see what your friends, your family members have in their minds when they make that decision or when they refuse to make a decision in the other direction. And they say, you know what, that's not for me. I don't believe in God. Then I want you to see what it is that they're stepping towards. Because listen, it may be true that every decision that you've ever made was really not your decision. That you don't really have free will. It is possible that choice is just an illusion. And it may be true that you really have no value. You don't. Your children don't. Your spouse doesn't. The people that you love have no value. It's possible that value is just an illusion. It may be true that there is no such thing as justice, that it's futile for us to, to try to make anything fair or to try to make anything right because there is no mind, there is no us. We're just simply a collection of cells. It's possible that this whole idea of you is just an illusion, that there's nothing more. But here's what I know that is true about all of us. We all hope there's more. Don't we? We all hope that there's more. There's something in you. There's something in me that hopes that this isn't all just an illusion. That there is, there's something in all of us that hopes that there is more. And our only hope that there is more my only hope and your only hope that there is more is God. So who needs God anyway? Well, maybe we all do. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.